thanks for listening to the Declaration Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from J.D. Umber. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Good morning, everybody. It's awesome. Um, well, good morning. And uh, some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, some of you I have not had the privilege of scarring yet, and that's okay. I have eternity. I'll be in heaven. Yay! Um, but I wanted to let you know, I, you know, most of the time when John asks me to preach, he's out of town. And I have the boss sitting in the front row. So, you know, it's a little, little different today, but uh, thank y'all for coming. I'm glad that the, Lord, um, that the Lord led you here this morning. Um, if you have never heard me preach before, um, I'm sorry. Um, not that I'm so good, it's just that you will leave going, wow. I'm kind of like the crazy cousin that you like to say hi to at the family reunion, but you don't want me to come home with you. So if you, if you don't know that, that's pretty accurate, right, Toby? I mean, that's, that's a good... Um, so if you don't already know that, you'll soon learn. So anyway, <laughs> um, yes, I am animated. Yes, I will be all over the stage and the floor and, 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 and down the aisles, and I might even come and sit beside you. I don't know. Um, but I'm passionate about the things of Christ, and I'm passionate about Christians living in what Christ not only died for us for, but also the things that he's given us through salvation other than we get to spend forever with him in heaven. I think a lot of Christians forget it's not just fire insurance. It's not just a retirement plan. It's daily. And it's not based off of how much we can do it. That's the, that's the glorious part of it. It's not based on our effort. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a goof off, kind of a mess up. I'm glad Jesus didn't leave it up to me. Amen? So anyway, so uh, John has done an amazing job the last several weeks talking about the book of Colossians. And so he has allowed me to kind of put the bookend on it, close the chapter, tie up the bow, because next week we're moving on to an awesome new five-week series called The, the Movement it's going to be awesome. You need to be here. But anyway, so let's go ahead and open up to Colossians 3. <laughs> That's where we're going to be today. Colossians 3. So if you have it on your phone, tap it up. If you have the pages, open it up. All right. So let me give a little summary for what's happening in Colossians. Um, some of you, you know, you might have not been here for a couple of the, of the lessons over Colossians. You might not have, have read Colossians in a while. Heck, you might never have ever read Colossians, so let's just kind of sum you up. Paul the Apostle, he's writing to the church in Colossae, all right? So that's why it's called Colossians, because those are the peeps from Colossae. So let's look at this. Chapter 1, this is kind of the summary of the whole chapter 1. Paul is sending his salutations. That means greetings, all right? Southeast Texan, he's saying howdy, all right? How your mama doing, that kind of stuff. So he's sending his salutation to the church, and he's giving the intro to his message, what he wants to talk to them about, okay? He's wanting to talk to them about who Christ is and who Christ is in us. And when we are in Christ, what does that make us, okay? So he's prepping that. So when we look at it, we see in like verses 1 through 8, he's greeting the church. He's telling them, hey, I've heard about you. I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your hope. I've heard about your love, 
okay? Verse 9 through 12, Paul goes on. He says, look, I'm sharing my prayers and wishes for you, what I want to see you blessed with in their faith in Christ. And this is what Colossians 1, 9 through 12 says. It goes, for this reason, since the day that we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's right there. Don't go on. (laughs) We just sang a song about fill us. Fill us and overflow us, didn't we? I said this in the first service. I'm going to say to y'all too. You know, the song doesn't say fill us to the brim, does it? It doesn't, Courtney, does it? What are we asking God to do? Not just fill us, because everything on the inside of the cup's for us. When it starts pouring over, who is that for? That's to be flung on other people. Think about it, though. You're asking the passion of God to fill you, the Spirit of God to fill you, and literally go over the boundaries of your cup. That's for other people. So what I'm going to ask you is, when we are singing, fill us up, let us overflow, are you ready for your Jesus to be flung on other people? Because guess what? you got to be the one doing the flinging. When's the last time we flung some Jesus on somebody? I've even been to seminary. (laughs) Think about that. When was the last time that we expected, humbly, but boldly expected God to fill us up and let it overflow to where it can get on other people? And that's what Paul is wanting from them, for them. Like you say, we're not asking it from you, we're wanting it for you. Let's move on to verse 10. (laughs) So that you will walk in a worthy, excuse me, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. To please him. If you had a really, really good relationship with your dad, raise your hand. Awesome. Janice, I saw your hand go up. I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Not pick on you, but include you in the, in the illustration. You knew your dad loved you. You knew you had favor with your dad. You never had to wonder that. But when you came in the house with something, maybe a gift or a picture that you'd colored or a story or something, and you sat on your dad's lap and you told him, when you knew that you had pleased him, it was like an extra gold star, wasn't it? the same way with our God. Paul isn't saying to please him like for him to be okay with you. The blood of Christ made you okay with him. We gotta, we gotta, we've got to eliminate, eradicate. We've got to destroy this concept in Christian's mind that your God isn't okay with you if you claim the blood of Jesus. That's just from Satan. Oh, The very notion that your God is not happy with you or that you've got to please him. The blood of Jesus can do that. Any daddy in this room, if you are a healthy daddy, you know you love your kids. Sometimes you love them more and sometimes you want to punch them in the face, but you still love them. 
You have three. I've seen you do it. Hey, that, no, 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 not punch him in the face. <laughs> I have seen you walk through the frustrations of fatherhood. For the record, our pastor has never abused his children. Is that on camera? Okay, we're good. All right. <laughs> that wasn't in the first service. Present to you. <laughs> Guys, our God is pleased with us. He loves us. Yes. Are there days where, where you know, we, we could shine up a little better? Sure. But he loves us. He's not going to approve of you any more than what he does right now. You want to know why? Because you have 100% approval in Christ if you are covered by his blood. You cannot earn any more. You want to know why? Because you couldn't earn the first part. Why do we say that we can't, oh, we can't earn salvation, but by golly, we're going to work to earn his... No! No, he doesn't work like that. You want to know why? He's too good for that. There's a reason. Oh, this is free. This wasn't in first service. There's a reason why he calls us sheep. They are the dumbest, most disgusting morons of the farm. I'm not lying. Anybody ever worked around farm animals? You know sheep are dumb. They will eat the grass and pull up the roots and kill the grass in a pasture. Babies, he loves us too much to allow us to have any hand in the stuff. He just invites us to come along with him and watch what he does. This is what Paul is saying. Let's go to verse 11. Strengthen in all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He didn't just save you and leave you homeless. He brought you into the kingdom. He didn't just save you and bring you into the kingdom for you to sit inside the wall as a pauper. He brought you into the castle. He didn't just save you, bring you into the kingdom, and bring you into his home for you to be a, a redheaded stepchild that he abuses. He brought you and put a robe on you, and you have a small chair in his throne room because you are an adopted child of the king of the cosmos. I didn't say it. Scripture said it. And that's what Paul's wanting them to really understand. The inheritance of the saints. Then you go on to verses 13 through 20 in chapter 1. And Paul, he talks about the centerpiece of everything. Christ. Christ, it's, it's called the messianic poem. It's this gloriousness. Jehovah's Witness ever comes to your door, open up Colossians 1.13 and watch their heads spin. Because it goes against what they were taught. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 1.13 says the Father has delivered us to Jesus. Next, that Jesus is God in flesh. Next, that he is our creator. 
Can I tell you how many Christians I have seen that get mad when you say that Jesus is the guy making the world in Genesis 1? When scripture clearly says that he's the creator? I mean, fighting mad. And I'm like, look, Papa was just sitting there going, that's my boy. Jesus made the world. It was made for him, by him, through him. Hello? He made the planet, guys. Not only that, but he threw in a couple of billion extras. Stars. <laughs> Not only did he make it, but he's the boss of it. Let's go to next. He's our sustainer. He holds it all together. He didn't just make it and rule over it. He's the super glue that holds it together. And he's the head of the church. The head. The head. What's your name, sweetheart? Shannon. Hi, Shannon. I like your shirt. Shannon, do you hate your hand? Do you hate your foot? You hate your ear? Why do we think Jesus hates us? Why do we think that Jesus gets frustrated and angry with us? Satan and his lies. Anybody hate their ear? No. Why would the head hate us if we are his body? Think about that. Our perspective of Christ's view of us needs to get more biblical. Because some of us think he hates us and some of us think that we can get away with murder and that he doesn't care. There's a, there's a fine line in between the two that we need to get back to biblical understanding of who God says we are. And that is what Paul is screaming to the Colossians to understand. Because they had some stuff to deal with. Let's go to the next one. Jesus is pleasing to the Father. Next. Jesus is our Savior. So this is what Paul is trying to set up in Colossians 1. All right? Go to the next slide. You see, there are these two... Oh, never mind. No. And, he re and he rescued us. And he has delivered us. Nope. Keep, keep forward. You're good. Yes, reconciled us. Next. He wants us to present us as holy. But there was a problem that these guys had dealt with. Next slide. See, there were these two groups in Colossae that was kind of wreaking havoc for the, for the, for the Christians. Next. Boom. Ha-ha! You had the mystics who were Gnostics, and you had the legalists who were Jews. And newscast, we still have mystics and legalists in, around the church today. I'd have made a good Pharisee. My Baptist upbringing, whoo, I could walk a chalk line and make you feel guilty if you didn't. Hey, praise the Lord that he didn't leave it up to me, Amen. But these Colossians, they had two groups. They had the mystics that they were all about the personal experience. And they said that we claim a special knowledge based off of personal experience. And then the legalists said, no, 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 no. We have a special holiness based off of personal experiences. And they were messing around with the Colossians. You see, the Gnostics believed in putting your head in the spirit realm. Yeah, you're here, but you need to put your thing, you just need to be like, you need to disconnect out of the physical world because the physical world is evil. In fact, they believed that, you know, don't even worry about denying your flesh. Flesh is evil, so you can't really tell it to do anything anyway. So just live the way you want, just as long as your head's in the spirit realm. Live like a heathen, 
but put your head in the spirit realm. That's why Paul said Christ is the head of the church. And see, the legalists, they said, look, put your body back under the yoke of legalism to earn favor with God. <clears throat> here's, an, here's a modern day example. Some people will say, you can't do this. Even when scripture clearly says, let no one judge you off what you eat or drink. You've heard somebody say that tattoos are wrong for a Christian? <laughs> you might have said it. Do you know that God was talking to the Jews in the Old Testament when he said that? And you might say, but J.D., that's a, that's a, that's a good suggestion. Okay, cool, let's go there. He also told them not to eat bacon. You giving that up too? Because see, we can't choose one and not all. That's not fair. Do you grow out your beard without cutting it ever? Do you grow out your sideburns without cutting it ever? Do you take the Sabbath and do nothing ever? Remember what Jesus said, look, you got to do it all or none. That's legalism. It's legalism. You want to know why? You want to know the three things that God said through his apostles that Gentile Christians must do to not bother the Jewish Christians? It's in the book of Acts. Don't eat food offered to idols. Don't eat food with blood in it. And don't be sexually promiscuous and crazy. Those are the three things that Gentile Christians have to worry about. I don't hear anything else but yet. But yet. We add them on because we want to do our own holiness. We don't want to mess it up. We, no, you got to look better. You got to clean up. You got to wear this to church. You got to speak like that. No, 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 no. If scripture is clear on what we should be doing. Everything else is just opinion. But we can't be ignorant of what Scripture says for us to do. And that's where the mystics would come in. The mystics, well, you know, just it's all about your personal experience. And the other guy's saying, no, 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 every single thing has to be, has to be. And Paul's going, don't listen to either one of them. Next slide. In chapter 2, Paul goes on and he says, look, <laughs> I'm encouraging you, don't listen to these people. They are not giving you what Jesus has given you. They are not teaching you what Christ wants for you. In fact, the, the quote is actually direct. Don't let anyone, and it says, delude you with persuasive argument. Can I invite you to not listen to anything I say or believe anything I say unless you go to scripture and check it out? Just because I'm a rather dashing fat man on the stage does not mean you should listen to anything I say. If scripture does not say it, don't listen to me. I'm not an apostle. Jesus has given me a spiritual gift of teaching and pastoring, but I'm not an apostle. I'm not Jesus either. If anyone who stands on a stage, John will say the same, he was just nodding his head a minute ago. Any of us, anybody on television, anyone, anywhere that claims to be preaching the word of God, if it does not line up with what the word of God says, do not listen to them. Just don't. Look, if, if, if I've said anything that frustrates you, number one, give me grace because I am the crazy cousin, right? Don't send emails to John. 
I want to help you on that one. Go to the Word and see what it says. That was the stage, not me. It was, was the stage. Let's go to chapter 2. No, back up. <laughs> so the chapter 2, Paul's continuing. You know, don't, don't, persuade, uh, don't get sidetracked with all these crazies. Move on. This is what he says. Verse 6, he says, look. Um, hey, newscast, if you have him, walk, with, walk in him. If you have him, walk in him. If you have him, walk in him. If you have him, newscast, let's try, walk in him. I'm also a high school art teacher. I'm tired of seeing high school students broken and thinking the only thing they can do is kill themselves. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I had a kid last year in May, two weeks before summer break, which in my head, I'm thinking, summer break? She killed herself two weeks before summer break. What's even worse than that? Most of the kids that are thinking it and doing it are Christians. Can someone explain that to me? I mean, I know that you're in the same boat going, what's going on? Because Paul was trying to get them to understand, look, we got to fix this. If we claim him, we got to do the life that he set up for us. We can't, you know, when we were talking about the, the when it was talking about shaking the, the, the song, what's the, what was the song that we were? Build my life. Talking about firm foundation, the Lord just kind of dropped an, an analogy in my head, something about an earthquake. And I said, you know, the cool thing about Jesus is sometimes if you're standing on the foundation of Christ, if he is the foundation of the building, sometimes you're not even going to feel the earthquake that other people outside are going to feel. And sometimes you will. And John said, yeah, and you won't fear because you're standing on the foundation. <clears throat> and Paul's saying, look, guys, if, if, if we claim him, we're going to walk in him. Next. Let no one take you captive. Next. Jesus has made you complete in him. Next. You are resurrected in him. Next. Christ has forgiven all sins. Not some. Not the things in your past that you've never confessed to your small group. But all. All. The thing that your wife doesn't know about. Forgiven. Past, present, future. Forgiven. So get in the forgiveness boat. Quit living in guiltyville and let's move forward. Next, he's victorious. If our king is victorious, why do we act like we're slaves in a foreign land? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, J.D., you don't know my boss. I understand. Sometimes it feels like you're in slavery, but you're not. Next. Colossians 2.23 says, These are matters for which to be sure the appearance of wisdom... Oh, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but there's no value against fleshly indulgence. Self-holiness is not going to help you with sin. Gentlemen in the room, you've ever dealt with, um, oh, I don't know, anger, 
pornography, um, drinking too much, um, running around. We know that if, as guys, if we want to stop that, us trying to be better is not going to help that. Because we cannot help sin. That's why he went to the cross for us. Next slide. You see, hyper-spiritualism and hyper-legalism, they don't work. I loved my heritage that I had growing up. I love the fact that I went to a traditional church. I love the fact that I went to a Bible teaching church. I'm grateful for my heritage. I am. Yes, it was jacked up in some places. But sometimes bad experiences teach you just as much as good ones do. And I'm grateful for my experiences. But I wish that that was preached more. That if you are trying to be hyper-spiritual or hyper-legalist, it's not going to help your holiness because you are separating you from him. And it can't work that way. Next. See, the issue for mystics and for the legalists, it wasn't Jesus as Savior. Those, both groups were like, okay, cool. The, the Gnostics were like, okay, we just have another God. Awesome. And the Jews were like, okay, you, you believe he's the Messiah. Cool. Here's what else you have to do. It was how to live in Christ was their hang-up. One group said it's, it, it has nothing to do with the Bible, which obviously back then it was just the apostles teaching orally. It has nothing to do with what the, what the apostles had laid down before you. It wasn't about Jesus' teachings. It was about your personal experience. And the, and the Jews, the legalists were going, no, 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 no. It is about everything we see written in Scripture. You got to do it. And you got to do it good. And you can't mess up. Both of them. You see, the Gnostics said holiness through personal experiences. And this other side said holiness through legalism. <clears throat> can, I, can I just say both? Both, heretic, uh, both groups were trying to regulate the holiness but cutting Christ out of it. They were making it about you and me and our will and our performance. I grew up in a small country town, as you can tell. Liberty, whoop, whoop. Generation after generation of farmers in my family. And so I understand some of y'all did not have the blessedness of growing up in a small town. So let me put it in terms we can all understand. You remember in elementary when you got the Ziploc bag and you took the piece of wet paper towel and you put it in the bag and you put the bean? We're all together. Uh-huh, even my city folk friends are like, uh-huh, I know the bean. And you put the bean in the Ziploc bag. Did you make the bean grow? No. No. All you did was prep the bag. God made the bean. God has the, 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 the design within the DNA of the bean where the root goes down and the stem goes up and then you, the leaves and photosynthesis and all that business. We didn't make that happen, did we? All we did was prep the bag. Let me put it in Christian terms. All we need to do is prep the heart. Sometimes you got to till up the soil. Sometimes you got to let it go. Sometimes you got to get the rocks out of the, out of the dirt that are going to prevent good growth. 
John even said it earlier, something about, you know, the, the spirit of, 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 a, of an orphan. Or holding on to past abuse. Look, your parents might not have been great. Get over it. We got to get those rocks out of our hearts. We got to get those things out of our hearts. Look, you, be, you ask any minister, pastor that has been in ministry for over five years, we have bite marks of sheep all down our backsides, don't we, Toby? We can either grovel over it and let it stunt us, or we can go, look, Lord, they bit me and I'm going to get over it. I'm going to be here for what, a couple, 40, 50, 60 years, and then heaven. I'm not going to prevent those people who tried to do me wrong, whether they knew it or not, to hinder whatever growth the Lord wants to do in my little Ziploc bag called my heart. I'm not going to do it. And that's what Paul's getting at. These groups made it about what we do. We just need to prep our hearts and let Jesus do it. Love this verse. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You see, what he's saying is your source, your resource, your power cable is Jesus. Go to the next slide, please. If he is your God and your creator and your sustainer and the head of you and your savior... You're not the source. I'm not the source. You want the worry to go away? Quit making the worry about you. As a dad, I worry. I confess to you, I have fear about my kids in public places. And I'm looking for the creepers to punch them in the face and keep them away from my daughter. Hashtag dad life. All right? You don't know. You have boys. You don't know, John Cheryl. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have daughters. You know, don't you? But at the moment where I forget Jesus loves my daughter more than me is when I start entering into sin because I make it about me and my control and what I can do. I mean, touch my daughter and I'll show you what I can do, but that's not the point. The point is when I put myself in his throne, he'll let me. Hey, buddy, uh, that chair's a little too big for you. You want to get out now and let me sit down? That's what holiness is supposed to be. He will bring the work that he started. He'll finish it in you, but get out of his way. You can't say, Lord Jesus, take this bottle from me. I don't want to be drunk. I don't want to be an alcoholic. And then walk back to the bottle. Or whatever it is. Whatever it is. Fear. Like I said, in my case, I I can't keep walking to the fear and live in the fear. I've got to walk back to Jesus. And I've got to set my eyes on things above, not on things below. I've got to walk into a crowd and not look for creepers, but look for the king of majesty to protect. But it goes off in our work. It goes in public spaces. It goes in our home. Hey, i got news for you. If Allison was up here, she'd tell you, we've been married 12 years. You need to pray for that woman. She has to live with me every day. (laughs) Testify. It has not been roses for 12 years. But I tell you, we finally got to the point where when we have trouble, we stop looking at each other and we start looking at him. 
Things above, not below. Next. You see, he's not talking about daily tasks there. Yes, you need to think about, I have to feed the dog. I have to go drop off the dry cleaning. I've got this person at work today that's going to be a little frustrating. I've got to pay the phone bill. I haven't talked with my whatever. He's not talking about that. He's talking about instead of going to work and work being the, the thing that just drains you, you look to your boss in heaven. What does he say? Well, he tells us in scripture about how we're supposed to be working for other people. You know, later on in Colossians, when it talks about being slaves, you could easily put that, take that word out and just put employee in there. It means the same thing. It means the same thing. Our perspective, our perspective, victim or victor. Woo, victim or victor. How many times have you uttered those words in prayer ministry? Victim or victor? Paul was clear, if Jesus is the victor, you've got the victory. Now, I'm not being naive. I understand. Yesterday happened, whatever it was. But if Kathy Baruchy were, Kathy's not in this service. She came to first service. Okay. If Kathy was here, she would tell you when she had cancer... The cancer wasn't her focus. He was. And that doesn't mean he's going to heal her or not heal her. What that means is he's her focus come what may. That's the point. That's the point. Some of you might be single. And you are, you are absolutely, you are just desperate for the spouse that God has for you. I've been there. The focus can't be your loneliness and your spouse and you and your wedding. And you can't dwell on down here. Put your eyes up there. It has to be him. It has to be I got to get my kids to church to where they can worship and hear the word of God instead of on the soccer field on a Sunday. I said it. The pastor didn't. You can't fire me. But seriously, but seriously, I'm serious. We got to get the kids off the soccer field and onto the mission field. You know what I'm screaming? Because soccer field's not going to matter in 10,000 years. I'm sorry. I got a rule in my house. Allison Michelle knows our children will not be part of anything that takes them out of a Wednesday night or a Sunday. Period. Why? Christ comes first, second, 15th and last. There's not anything else that we even put beside him. It's not Christ come first and then soccer. No. Or basketball. Or t-ball. Or cheer. Whatever it is. Hey, newscast, if we don't like the 83% of teenagers when they leave the church, they never come back. Why aren't we going to fix that stat? Why are we going to fix it? Because we can't keep doing the same thing and expect the number to just drastically go down. You are a good preacher, but I don't think you're that good. (laughs) Like I said before, you're a good preacher, but he knows. It's got to be our lives, our families, our homes, our marriages have to start looking up. We got to. Christ cannot be a historical guy in a book somewhere. He's got to be the guy that we look to every morning, noon, and night. He's got to, oh, look, y'all know. Teenagers in the room? Anybody? Teenager? Raise your hand. Yes. Do you like fake people? No. 
That's what Paul's saying. Stop looking down, start looking up. I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> and th there's more scripture in chapter four of, of Paul's just kind of wrapping it up. There's some greetings and things like he's saying, you know, this guy says hi and all that. But the crux of Colossians, who Christ is and who we must be in him. Not for his favor or not to earn salvation or not to just have another checklist for us to do things. And so the Lord gave me this little statement when I was prepping this lesson. I think the church, the church, the bride of Christ, the beloved of heaven, I think we need to quit looking down for what we want. And I think we need to start looking up for what we have. I'm going to say it again. Write that down. Quit looking down for what we want. Let's start looking up for what we have. Do you realize that we have a holy father in heaven who completely loves us? We have a holy savior who has redeemed us and freed us from the power of sin in his name and by his blood. We have a holy spirit that wants to dwell within us daily. Whew. We have a holy home and glory that we cannot earn. Amen. We have a holy book that is our instruction manual. And it's a good book too. There's crazy stuff in there. It's, it's better than any novel that was ever written. I mean, you got all sorts of stuff in this book. Hello. Not only that, but it was written by God because he loves us and he wanted us to have a map. <laughs> Here's how to get to the end, babies. We have a holy church that God has given us a family. And yes, they're crazy cousins like me. But I'll tell you something. You can walk up to me and tell me you're junk, and I'll walk with you with it. I'll walk with you in it. I ain't going to judge you. I don't care. You want to know why? I got my stuff too. <laughs> A lot of it. Small groups aren't just something that we like to hang out with. Uh-uh. That's life. That's life among us. You want to talk about flinging Jesus on other people? I don't, know, I don't know about other small groups, but if you're in the order of the line, we fling some Jesus on each other, don't we, Brent? Uh-huh. He was talking to his wife. I caught him. <laughs> we have a holy calling to take the gospel of Jesus to the nations. Quit looking down for what you want. Start looking up for what we have. I asked the band. They asked, you know, J.D., is there any songs? And I said, there's one. And it's a song that I remember when I was a kid, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh, oh, the goosebumps. Yeah, it's nostalgic for me, but the message, the meaning. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And the things of earth, oh, they'll grow dim. If you've never heard this song before, listen to it the first time. And if you have heard it before, belt it out and let them hear it. Do me a favor and stand.
And wherever you are, just close your eyes. No, don't worry. We're not fixing the, you know, raise hands or anything. Just close your eyes. Just to where you can focus. Take a big, deep breath. Picture your king sitting on his throne. Oh, in majesty. Altars of incense around him. Cherubim, seraphim, angels all around him. Saints that have already died and gone to heaven in their robes of righteousness surround his throne. Can you see it? Oh, can you see it? He loves you. And he can't wait for the day for you to show up. And join those saints and angels and cherubim and seraphim and heavenly creatures in just lifting up their eyes to the king of kings, the king of glory, the sustainer of the universe. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Podcast. I pray today that you feel encouraged, loved, and hopeful. If you missed us this week, join us next Sunday at Snyder Elementary in Spring, Texas at 9 and 11 a.m. We can't wait to meet you and welcome you home. Have a blessed day and see you soon.